Let's take our Bibles, please turn to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10 this morning, we're going to look at a passage of Scripture that we see that phrase, suffer the little children. Suffer the little children. Mark chapter 10 this morning. Man, I've enjoyed your singing this morning. Thank you. And uh, sometimes, uh, I'll just be honest, sometimes you get up here and everybody looks mad. And I, I don't know what happened. I, I, I was worried today. I thought this would be a funeral for the Maple Leafs this morning. But praise the Lord for your time of worship. I appreciate the singing. It's been good and it's blessed my heart. And, and you think we're loud. You stand up here when there's 200 people singing this way. It's, it's wonderful. And uh, it's been a blessing. Thank you so much. Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. Look, if you will, in verse 13. And they brought young children to him, the Lord Jesus Christ, that he should touch them. And his disciples rebuked those that brought them. But when Jesus saw it, he was much displeased and said unto them, Suffer the little children to come unto me and forbid them not. For of such is the kingdom of God. Verily I say unto you, whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, he shall not enter therein. And he took them up in his arms and his hands and, and put his hands upon them and blessed them. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your holy word. We thank you for the time that we have sang and praised your name. But Lord, I pray that it was more than just our lips singing some songs. I pray that it was worship from the heart. Lord, you know each heart in the room, and you know those who truly worshiped you this morning. And I pray, Lord, that perhaps there's somebody here carrying a burden, and it was difficult for them to sing the praises of God. They went through the motions this morning, and I, and I understand I've had those days. I pray, Lord, that you'd revive them. Help them to see their Savior today. Lord, in this passage of Scripture, we see a wonderful picture of how approachable Jesus is. How much he loves people. I pray that you remind them of your love today. Father, as we look to the word of God, we pray that the Holy Spirit would partner with it. That he'd speak to our hearts. I pray, Lord, that you'd fill me. I need your help today. And Lord, we'll thank you for all these things. That you would do your perfect work in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. It is no surprise to me to see in Mark chapter 10 that people would bring their children to the Lord Jesus Christ. There's, there's no better place to bring them. But I want you to understand that as they brought their children to the Lord Jesus Christ, they were following a custom. In the days that we read of in the Bible, it was customary to lay hands upon children and pray a blessing over them. We see at the end of Jacob's life, who was at that point called Israel, he brought each of his children into his room. He spoke to them and prophesied over them and told them what would become of their lives as they gave their life either to follow God or they would fall away. And he prophesied different things about his children and prayed God's blessing on them. We're also reminded that that same Jacob, Israel, brought in Ephraim and Manasseh, his grandchildren, and laid his right hand upon Ephraim even though he was the youngest. And it was a signifying that God's blessing would be upon him. 
We see it in other parts of the Bible where they would lay their right hand upon a child and they would pray the blessing of God upon those children. I don't know, to be honest with you, if we see in the scriptures, I, I, I searched and I looked uh, to the best of my ability to see if, that, if maybe a priest did such a custom or others, but it seems it was normally a family thing. But these parents could not be faulted in wanting the Lord Jesus Christ to do the same for their children. If we're going to seek blessings at all, the greatest source of blessing in this world is the Lord Jesus Christ. And so they sought him and they sought his face and they brought these children to the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Bible says in verse 13 of Mark chapter 10, and they brought young children to him that he should touch them and his disciples rebuked those that brought them. I think it's significant that we see the word young. I don't, I, I haven't studied that word out. I, I just kind of just jumped off the page at me now, but it was interesting that these parents thought we need to start the children young. It's important to get them to Jesus while they're young. It's important to permanently impact their lives at a young age. And so they brought them while they were young. But I want you to notice just four words that, I, that I've put down to, to help us understand or take apart the passage this morning. The first word is ignorance. Ignorance. Notice what it says in verse 13. The Bible says, and they brought young children to him that he should touch them. Look what it says. And his disciples rebuked those that brought them. I'm not sure what the motives of the disciples were. I would perhaps understand that this was not a customary thing. It was customary for a Jewish parent to lay their hands upon their child and pass the blessing down as we see in the life of Israel or Jacob and, and others throughout the Bible as they would bless their children. Perhaps it was not customary to bring your child to a king, to bring your child to the great high priest, to bring your child to a rabbi. I'm not sure. So perhaps it was just out of custom and the ignorance of the disciples thought and perhaps, and when I say ignorance, I just mean they didn't know any better. I don't mean to say that they were rude or, or, or out of favor in any sense. I just mean I don't think they knew any better. I think they thought they were doing the right thing by stopping these children. You can't boldly go to a king and you can't go boldly go to a priest. But I have a king you can go boldly to. I have a, a God that sits upon his throne who invites me to come boldly to the throne of grace. I have a friend in Jesus Christ who sticketh closer than a brother. I have one who hears me when I cry out to him and I can call out to him night and day and I can plead with him and I can beg with him. Even when I'm filthy and dirty with my sin, I can go to him and search for mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. I have an approachable savior. So was it against their custom that they stopped these children was an inconvenience. Notice what is going on in the rest of the chapter. In Mark chapter 10, if you were to read the first 12 verses, you will find that Jesus is in the middle of a discourse about marriage and divorce. He's teaching the Jews about their attitudes in marriage and how they are wrong and because of the hard-heartedness of their hearts that, that Moses allowed them to have a bill of divorcement, but that was not the way it was from the beginning, that God had designed a man to cleave unto his wife, that he should leave his mother and father. And in the middle of all of that, parents started pushing to the front and bringing their children. We have to get them to Jesus. So perhaps it was just a 
a time of inconvenience. They didn't want to interrupt the Lord's teaching. Maybe it was pride. Maybe they felt that in the society where children were better off seen and not heard, that they were just too good to minister to these kids. I'm not sure what their reasonings are, but I've seen it in modern day. Over and over we wonder, do we spend that time in investing in the young people that we ought to invest in? And I mean what I say this morning when I look at the front rows of our church and say, this is our future. And you say, well, they're just, I, 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 excuse the expression, but the, the attitude of our hearts sometimes, snot-nosed little kids that won't amount to anything and they're living in a, a very difficult situation. Friend, our Savior specializes in rescuing the lost in redeeming the beggar and helping the blind find bread and water. That's what he does. And for such were some of you. We sing the song, Amazing Grace, I once was blind, but now I see. But we wonder, can these blind ones find the Lord? He did it for you. We were no better. So I see the ignorance of the disciples. By the way, I, one of the hardest times for me at Bethel Baptist Church was when we couldn't run buses. I, I you know that after that first lockdown, we came back. I could hardly get through a service. I just wept through the whole message and the songs and everything. But those empty rows bothered me. To not have the life in the church of the children, it's so important. It's so important. By the way, I was one of those snot-nosed little kids that grew up at Bethel Baptist Church. And we could name a list of those kids that tore up the hallways, that broke things, that got in trouble, that got yelled at by Mrs. Dorkson. If you didn't get yelled at Mrs. Dorkson, you didn't grow up at Bethel. I'm just telling you the truth. You say, why would she, listen, it wasn't because she was mean. It's because she loved the church. Because she loved Christ. And she hated seeing it treated like a racetrack, you know. And we knew that. She loved her Savior, and she loved the church. And she wanted those kids to grow up loving Jesus. The ignorance of the disciples nearly turned people away. But I want you to notice verse 14. Here's another word I, I wrote down, indignation. Indignation. Look what it says in verse 14. But when Jesus saw it, he was much displeased. The Bible is very kind there. You know what much, I looked it up. I did study that word out in the Greek. You know what it means? It means he was indignant. There is no stronger word in the, in the King James Bible than that Greek word that means how angry he was at that moment. The only other time it's used is when he turned over the tables of the money changers because they turned the house of prayer into a den of thieves. He was angry. The Lord Jesus Christ speaks in some pretty harsh language when it comes to children, doesn't he? He says, if you're going to offend one of these little ones, it'd be better if a millstone were hung around your neck and you were cast in the deepest sea than to stand before me on the day of judgment. If I could just sum that up, don't mess with my children. He was indignant. He was angry. 
Jesus often looks on us in pity and mercy and grace, but not at this moment. His disciples should have known better. In all the time they had spent with Jesus and all the miracles they'd seen and all the people that he had touched and turning aside to, to meet with the lepers and embracing them and, and going to find blind Bartimaeus on a wayside who they had tried to hush, they should have known by now he doesn't turn anybody away. That all who seek will find. That all who come to him he shall in no wise cast out. That the invitation to come unto me, all ye that labor and have you laden, and I will give you rest, is always open. I want to say that that is open to you today as well. And you say, oh, but you don't understand the kind of sinner that I am. Can I say this? God is indignant with the one who is hindering you from coming. He's not indignant with you. He wants to show you mercy and grace, and love. Oh, Satan likes to whisper in your ear, doesn't he? Your sin is too great. He can't forgive you. And Jesus says, I have a place reserved for him in the lake of fire. That's who he reserves his judgment for. That's where his anger is directed. Maybe there's somebody in this room that has hindered you. Maybe there's somebody, a friend that has said, you, you won't find mercy there. You won't find grace there. You won't find what you're looking for at Bethel Baptist Church or at the foot of the cross or anywhere else. You're just too great a sinner. God is indignant with them. And he loves you. He wants to save you today. We see in these verses the ignorance of the disciples, the indignation of the Savior. Then in verse 15, we see an illustration. Verily I say unto you, whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, he shall not enter therein. The word of God, we see thousands upon thousands of adults come to know Jesus. The day of Pentecost, we see 3,000 in just one day, saved, baptized, and added unto them, Acts 2.41. And so it's not talking about a child being saved necessarily. But notice one little word there, the word as. He's illustrating. He says you need to come like a child or come as a child. You know what's neat about a child is their faith. There's something so innocent and pure about the faith of a child when a child truly trusts, all fear is gone. I, I remember as a, as a child going to uh, the rec center swimming on a Saturday afternoon. And I remember being marveling at this little baby that could just barely walk. About just 12, 14 months old, not very old at all. And the dad had been there, and the baby had obviously been in, you know, they have these swimming lessons for little babies. They just throw them in the water, and they, sw and they swim around, man. They, they do pretty good. And this, this little guy could hardly walk, and dad would put him on the side of the pool, and he would just, could hardly stand up, but he would jump in the arms of his dad. He believed that he was going to catch him. And then I saw something I'll never forget. They went down to the deep end. They swam down there together. And I don't, I don't know, there was a, an, another boy, 
And he went up on the diving board with that little 12, 13-month-old little one. And that baby stood on the end of the diving board, and dad got down in the water, and he just treading water. He says, go ahead and jump. And without reservation, that little guy just dove in the water and giggled and laughed and had a great time, and they did it over and over. He said, how is that possible? Because he trusted his father. That's it. There's no other reason. If dad would play a joke even one time and just let him drop into the water and he'd sink to the bottom and come up gasping for air, that child may never trust him again. But you have a God that never fails you. You have a God who's faithful. And you can trust him with anything. A child understands how unbreakable that bond of trust can be. And so that all fear is gone and they trust without reservation. There's an innocence and a purity in a child and in the faith of a child. And God's saying, you need to come to me like that. Just trust me. Maybe you're here today and you're saying, why should I trust you? Why should I trust God? Because he's a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. Because he never changes. I am the Lord, I change not. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And furthermore, let me, let me say this. He was willing to lay down his life for you. He shed his blood on the cross of Calvary to pay the price for your sins. That is someone that you can trust. And so he illustrates by using the faith of a child. There's one more word I want you to look at this morning, and I just want to spend a little more time on this. I see an invitation. I see an invitation. I see the ignorance of the disciples, the indignation of the Savior. I see the illustration that he makes in verse 15, but I see also an invitation. Look at verse 14 again. I'm out of order, but I saved it to the last on purpose. But when Jesus saw it, he was much displeased and said unto them, Suffer the little children to come unto me and forbid them not. For of such is the kingdom of heaven. We notice the invitation has been extended. We see, first of all, a caution. A caution. That word suffer, it's, it's not a word that we use anymore. But it means to allow someone access who was previously forbidden. To allow someone access who was previously forbidden. It's an invitation for those that have been taken out of bondage. It's an invitation for those who were not previously allowed to go in. But now they are. If you're a child of God today, you should be able to identify with that. There was a place you could not go. But when the Lord Jesus Christ bowed his head and said it is finished, the veil was torn in two. And now we can go boldly into the throne room of grace and we can go into the Holy of Holies. We've been granted access to God the Father through the Son, Jesus Christ. And so each of us should understand what that means. And previously, perhaps, those uh, children were not allowed to go directly to the rabbi. They would go to their parents. They were not allowed to go entertain themselves before the king. But now they could go to Jesus Christ who loved them. They could come boldly to him. So we see the invitation. But the caution is the word suffer. Suffer the little children. I believe it's a play on words. Because the word suffer is also used 
in the legal documents that the Jews would use for divorce. They would suffer a man to put away his wife. Taking the opposite of this, what she once had access to, she no longer did. It was the flip side of this word. And the Lord Jesus Christ for the first 12 verses is teaching the Pharisees about divorce and remarriage and how they had put away something that had once been given access through marriage and now they could no longer enjoy it. And Jesus saying, let me flip that word on his head and tell you this, what you don't think they can have, they can have gladly. They can come to me. I see a caution here. And the caution I see is this. We need to be very careful in understanding that we need to get kids to Jesus. You know, I think for a long time, we depend on a lot of other things. We teach children. We teach children to love the church. We teach children to love the programs of the church. We say, hey, don't you, don't you love going to Sunday school? You go to Sunday school and you, you win prizes and you go to Sunday school and you see your friends and you go to Sunday school and there's activities to do and, and we, we teach them to love Sunday school and we teach them to love the church and we teach them to love their preacher and we, and listen, it's not wrong to love those things. We need to teach them to love Christ. We see so many fall away. Cause let me tell you this, the church will fail you. Church will fail you. Your Sunday school teacher will mess up. All those programs, uh, you know what you, ca- what you catch people with, you have to keep people with. They're going to want more. If they're coming just to see what happens next, what happens on the Sunday when nothing happens? And we see a great falling away today because we've magnified the church and we've magnified uh, the music and we've magnified everything else when we must magnify Jesus. Notice what he says. We see a caution, but we also see a challenge in this. Suffer the little children to come unto me. To come to Jesus. Not programs, not the church, not even your faith. But that they might have a vibrant love for Jesus and a commitment to him. We need to teach our children to love Jesus. Why do you go to Bethel Baptist Church? Well, because my family's always gone there. That's not going to cut it on the day of judgment. Why, why do you teach Sunday school? Well, I, I was brought up in Sunday school. When I got older, they asked me to teach. I teach Sunday school. No, we do it because we love Jesus. Because we want to impart that saving knowledge of Jesus Christ to those that, that we teach and we help. And I'm going to be honest, I am genuinely concerned about the profession of faith of anyone who does not continue in the faith. No evidence of repentance. No evidence of a changed life. No fruit of the Spirit. That is not salvation, friends. That's a prayer. That's a profession, not a possession. I read an article today, or this week, sorry, about a church. Back in the 1980s, they they had a program. They decided they were going to have more people saved on that day than they did on the day of Pentecost in one church. And so what they did was they sent out their buses and they picked up hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of kids and they brought them to a central place and they brought them into a tent and they preached a 20-minute message about salvation and said things like, 
Well, how, how many here would like to go to heaven? Who wouldn't want to go to heaven? And they said, all right, workers, go get them. And they'd go get them, and they'd spend five minutes with them. They'd give them to pray a prayer, and they'd put down a mark on a piece of paper, and they'd put them on the buses, take them home, and pick up another waft of kids and bring them in. said over 15,000 got saved that day. See, how many got baptized? They said 37 got baptized out of 15,000. How many continued in the church over a year? Zero. There was no grounding. They asked kids, who wants to go to heaven? Then pray this prayer. That is not genuine salvation. Genuine salvation is the transforming faith in Jesus Christ for him to come in and his Holy Spirit to take over your life and change you. And begin to conform you into the image of his son. We have so many that fall away because we've taught them to love church and to love, love the things of the church and to love the programs of the church and love the music of the church. We need to pe- teach people how to love Christ. And that is my challenge to parents today and my challenge to Josh and Jessica and those that are supporting them here today. Teach those five precious children to love Jesus. Love Jesus. All else will fade away. I don't know how long I'll be here. I, if I set a date for you folks, you'll maybe start cheering. I don't know. <laughs> but what if the Lord gives me another 15 years? Another pastor comes along and things change a bit. I'm not saying I have everything perfect. I know that. Another pastor, what if 100 years from now, Bethel Baptist Church is no more. What if it's just become a place of apostasy? Another place that has fallen away? That is not my heart, and I don't believe it's yours either. We have to teach people to love Jesus. To look unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. We have to make sure that they are single-mindedly focused on him. And when they come to a place like this, if we're not focused on Jesus, they need to find another church. Oh, they may not like the politics of the church. People leave churches for lots of reasons. may not like the way, the direction the church is going, the leadership, the music, whatever. There's lots of reasons. And I'm fine, I'm going to be honest with you, if somebody leaves and says, well, I didn't like the music, or I didn't like the way the Sunday school classes are set up, or I didn't like, I'm, I'm fine with that. But I never, ever want to hear anybody say, I went to that church and never heard a thing about Jesus. I, I went to Bethel, and I, I'm not sure if they love Christ or not. they got a lot of things, but listen, when we cut through all the things that we have, that God has blessed us with, and the things that God has given us, boy, talents and abilities in this church to be able to do certain things, to use their gifts for the Lord, and it's not wrong to do that. But when we cut through all of that, can we still say that's a church that loves Jesus? Jesus says, suffer the little children to come unto me. Because at the end of the day, if the trumpet sounds right now and we're standing before God, 
You're not going to have these padded pews and this air conditioning and the decorations and all the rest. The grand piano, the music's going to be gone. Oh, there'll, there'll be music. It'll be much better. Amen? Angels flying everywhere saying, holy, holy, holy. Incredible. Just, just like Sarah just sang, stepping on that shore. Can you imagine it? Everything will be stripped away by Jesus. That's all you'll have left at the end of the day. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this morning. Why don't you stand to your feet? Would each of us take it as a personal challenge today to make sure that we keep Jesus the preeminent one in our lives? Friends, let me say this. Just as much as Josh and Jessica and the Bergsmas and the Slaters that are here today and their families, just as much as they have a responsibility to teach their children, you have a responsibility to model Christ in front of them. It's a sad thing when parents are doing their best to raise their children for Jesus and then they have to sit down and say, well, I need to tell you about a deacon that failed. I gotta tell you why your Sunday school teacher isn't there anymore. We need to take this as a personal challenge to keep our lives pure. (laughs) If there's gonna be a next generation, it has to start with this generation. Modeling Jesus Christ before the next. Would to God that he'd help us. (laughs) If God has spoke to your heart, this altar is open. You come and pray. Do business with God.